difficult subject. To treat the cross lightly would be really to do the cross injustice. But you know what's so amazing about the cross and what's amazing about Good Friday is that this is a heavy thing, but it's a weight that we don't have to carry, right? We don't have to carry this weight. Jesus Christ carried it for us so that we would not have to. I'm talking tonight about the cross, the cross is a big deal. In our culture, it's becoming a symbol. It's become a, a, a beautiful thing. Its art is, is full of crosses. People who aren't even believers will have crosses um, on their, you know, tattooed on their arms and, and crosses all over the place. But, but to the people who experienced its usage in first century uh, Rome and first century uh, 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 Israel, the cross is very different. It was a tool of the Roman Empire. The cross was one of the most horrible, most horrific, most painful ways to die. The Roman Empire had many ways to take care of people. And I don't mean by taking care of them in a good way. They had many ways to do that. The cross was the most horrible of these things. You may not, not have known this, but the cross was not the universal symbol of Christianity until 300 years after Jesus died on it. There are historical accounts of church leaders in the first century who didn't even want a, a, a cross drawn or depicted. Now, that's not all of them. There was many that, that did. But there was, there was, there's church history and there is, there is accounts that say they didn't want this drawn, seen, or depicted. You ask, well, why? Well, the reason's pretty simple. Because they had seen them used in action. You know, back then, you didn't look at a cross if you didn't have to. If you didn't have to, you would not have seen the cross. If you didn't have to, you, you hid your eyes from it. You hid your child's eyes. You hid your wife's eyes. You hid your husband's eyes. You would avoid going by one if you could. If you could walk around, if you would go on a different path, you would do that because everyone who had seen the cross in usage knew how horrible it was. Few would choose to be faced with the cross. It was a symbol synonymous with suffering and shame. Ancient history, the cross was used from Alexander the Great through the Roman Empire until 300 years after Jesus. You've seen the movie Spartacus. If you're uh, into ancient history, I'm kind of a weirdo. I like that stuff sometimes. And so I've seen it, and I've also read the account of these things. And so you've, if you know this, you've seen that before. You've seen the scene where there was, there was a, a 6,000 troops crucified that were crucified uh, in a Roman uprising. And they were, their crosses were lining the, the road down to Jerusalem. 6,000 troops who dared to stand against the mighty Roman Empire. On the main road into Jerusalem, if you were a, a Jew at this time, you could not avoid seeing this. It's a part of your life. Crucifixion on the cross didn't happen in, in far-off places. It happened on main roads. It happened in marketplaces. It happened where people were. It didn't happen in far-off spots. It happened in spots where you would have been. It happened so you can see these things. Why would that be the case? Well, it would be because 
that all who see, saw this happen would know what would happen to those who dare rebel against the mighty Roman Empire. Crucifixion wasn't a way to execute. It was a billboard for the mighty and the, cru- the cruelty of Rome. It was a symbol of the worst of humanity. The cross was, it was against the law to, to crucify a Roman citizen. Uh, crucifixion was reserved for slaves and enemies of Rome. It was reserved for those who would dare rebel against the Roman Empire or reserved for those who would dare cross the wrong person in the Roman Empire. It was such a, a horrible way to die that the Romans kept people scared of revolt because of this cross. Also, you may not know that when Rome finally destroyed Jerusalem in AD, 500, AD 65, 500 men were crucified on scaffolding outside of the, the gates of, of, of Jerusalem. 500 men in one day. The reason why there wasn't more is the Romans ran out of woods. And it was done there to see, and done there as a, as a, as a, as, as a proof that you don't mess with this. If you were a person in this time, the, the cross was not a symbol, it was not beautiful, it was, not, it, was, it was nothing but ugly and awful, and you didn't want to see it. You would never have chosen to be face to face with the cross. Yet despite the thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of crucifixions throughout world history, the cross has become a symbol of hope. It has been a symbol of hope that has endured and been seen through time. Why is that? The cross has become a symbol of hope, not because of crucifixion, but because of one crucifixion. Without that, the symbol would be a distant memory in a book someplace. You know, as I was studying for this message, I, I, I had to come to a point where I stopped and I paused and I thought, I have no frame of reference for what happened on the cross those days. I don't. I've never seen someone die, let alone seen the cruelty that was used in those days. I, I never I had nothing to, to, to compare that to. And I asked God, I said, God, help me to, to get this and help me to understand this and help me to, to get a, a glimpse of what this is and what it means that you died on the cross so many years ago. None of us have that. It's impossible for us to understand fully what Jesus did on the cross because we don't have this kind of a thing in our culture. And we're going to focus tonight and we're going to do our best to walk through what Jesus did. And it's important for us to have a a clear picture of the most of of these things surrounding Good Friday because it helps us to see how great and how awesome and how good it is that Jesus gave his life for us. We're going to focus tonight on the book of Mark. All the accounts record this, this story, but uh, the book of Mark is, is one of my favorite ways it's, it's depicted. And so I want you to, to kind of see tonight, we're going to read through this whole, this whole depiction so you can see what happens. What I love about the book of Mark is it's, it's not some legend, it's not some distant, unaccessible thing. The book of Mark shows this in incredible rich detail. When my wife asked a question about things that happened during the day, I, I answer her in grunts. I'm like, you know, I tell her, you know, well, this, you know, if she asks me details, I'll, I'll give her as little as possible. 
She wants details. She wants what they were wearing. She wants what they smelled like. You know, she wants what they said, what color the carpet was, you know, how nice it was. And I just want to give her the least amount of details. But Mark gives such incredible, deep detail. This is not written like some inaccessible, you know, strange, far-off religious text. This is fact. This is history. This is detail that Mark gives us right here. And we started last week on Palm Sunday and talked about the scene as it began when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on that fateful day. We saw that at his last supper, he's now eating his last supper. He's betrayed by one of his own. He's arrested for a false crime. He's gone before the council. He's tried with a mock trial, denied again by another one of his closest. And now, at the beginning of this chapter, he's on trial. Let's read it today. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Very early in the morning, the leading priests, the elders, and the teachers of religious law, the entire high council, met to discuss their their next step. They bound Jesus, and they laid him, they led him away and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. Then the leading priest kept accusing him of many crimes, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer them? What about these charges that they're bringing against you? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. These men are accusing him of of false crimes. They're accusing him of things that he didn't do. Pilate understands and sees this. It begins to be clear in Pilate's mind and heart. And Pilate starts to see something coming out here. Jesus didn't, wasn't killed. Jesus wasn't taken. Jesus gave his life willingly. Jesus laid down his life willingly. Pilate begins to see this happening, that no one took his life, he gave his life. Now it's the the governor's custom each year during Passover to release one prisoner. Anyone the people requested of the prisoners at that time were Barabbas, a revolutionary who had committed murder in an uprising. The crowd went to Pilate and asked him to release the prisoner as usual. Pilate sees his moment. He says, do you want to release to me the king of the Jews, he asked, for he realized now that the priests had arrested Jesus out of envy. He sees that what's happening here between the Jews and, and, and the priests and their people. And, and he, but at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. Pilate asked them, and what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews. That's a question that's been asked and a question that's been brought throughout history. What do we do with this man who started out on that day, who hung, was about to hang on the cross? What do we do with this man? And the crowd shouted back in verse 13, crucify him. Pilate said, why? What crime has he committed? And the mob roared even louder, crucify him, they said. So to pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged him with a lead whip tip and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. The soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard, the governor's headquarters, called the Praetorium, and he called out the entire regiment. They dressed him in purple robe, and they had woven thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. They saluted him and taunted him, Hail the king of the Jews! They struck on him and his head with a reed stick, spit on him, 
dropped to their knees in mock worship, and when they were finally tired of mocking him, they got the purple robe, and they put his own clothes on him again, and they led him away to be crucified. A passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then. The soldiers forced him to carry the cross. They show here, Simon was not just some guy. Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. He was not some distant uh, person that didn't exist. Here he is. Here's his name. Here's where he's from. Here's his father. And they led him, uh, they brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They offered him wine, drugged with myrrh, when he refused it. This was a narcotic given during crucifixion. It was common to give this, this, this narcotic, this drink. It was given to every person who was crucified generally, but it, it wasn't done with charity. It wasn't done to be kind. It was done so they wouldn't fight as much when crucifixion happened. Jesus refused it. Wow. And the soldiers, it says, nailed him to the cross. Now, the nails didn't go into his hands, but they went into his wrist. They went between the two bones in your wrist, and they, 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 they held him there. There's a spot there where if you get the nails correct and right, you can hold the weight of a man. And so this is where it happens. He hung there with the full weight of his body suspended upon these two bones in his wrist. Uh, people who have, in, in, in modern times, have seen this happen, have seen the incredible amount of pain that comes and takes place when this happens. Soldiers would have hoisted him and then had the beam to the top of the upright and left him just hanging there. Modern times, crucifixion has been used to Jewish inmates in the Dachau concentration camps during World War II. These Jews, these eyewitnesses who saw Germans uh, crucify people as well, say a person could last about an hour like this. You can't exhale in this position because the way your body works, you can't do it. You need your diaphragm and your rib cage to exhale and hanging like this makes it impossible to do. In German concentration camps, they would put a weight on the person's legs to drag them down as an act of charity so they would go quicker. They would last about 10 minutes. But in Rome, they understood this. So they diabolically thought of a way to keep the person alive longer, to suffer longer. What they would do is they would, they would nail the, the, the nail in, in, in the person's uh, uh, ankles and, their, and their, their feet, and this would allow them to be able to lift their body up by their, their ankles and, and to be able to use their, 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 their rib cage and, and their, their diaphragm to breathe. They would try not to, but you can't help but do this. It would cause the person to last longer. For six excruciating hours, Jesus hung there, writhing in pain. He made few statements, as you might guess, during this time because of the pain and such. And of course, his last is recorded in Luke 23, 46. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, I give my life away. Crucifixion was forced on thousands. It was chosen by one. Thousands and thousands would have avoided crucifixion. Why wouldn't you? It was chosen by one. 
Slaves were crucified time and time again. Rebel, re, rebellers, uh, uh, in, in, insurrectionists were crucified because of their rebellion against Rome. Jesus was crucified because of our rebellion against God. Nothing artistic, nothing beautiful, nothing symbolic about that. The English theologian C.S. Lewis once said, crucifixion did not become common in art until all who had seen one had died off. What's amazing about this is that Peter, uh, Paul, and, and, and John, who lived during this time, who saw crucifixions, who saw Jesus crucified, were able to speak positively about the crucifixion. They were able to talk about this in a positive light. Jesus died for our sins. He paid the price for our sins in a way, in a pot, in a way that we cannot possibly imagine. Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 2. He said, Jesus humbled himself. It was his choice. In obedience to God, again, his choice, and died a criminal's death on a cross. Some translations actually say a criminal's death even on a cross. You see, Paul, who was a person who was alive in this time, knew the, the, the atrocities, knew the, the horrible nature of crucifixion on a cross, and so he, he brought out and said, even, even, death on a cross. What do you do with that? What do you do with that tonight? See, our symbols don't do it justice. It was an unmentionable, unspeakable, horrible thing. I think this explains the passion of the, 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 the believers in the book of Acts. When you read the book of Acts, you find the, the passion that they, that they used and that they, that, that, they, that they saw when they began the church and, and they, they gave their lives and gave their, their homes and gave everything. Why? Because they had seen this happen. They had seen this man who they called Messiah. They had seen this man who had been mocked and beaten and, and, and tortured and drugged down the, the, the streets. They'd seen him in, in person. They saw him on the cross. They saw him die, and they saw him come back to life not long after that because with, with Jesus Christ, death never is the end, right? Death is never the end. Death is the beginning. Death is the beginning of a new time, a new season, a new thing. And Jesus Christ, though he was died and laid and buried one day, he rose again because death cannot hold him down. And the same message works. And the same message is true for each one of us today. Amen? That's how it works. You see, these people saw him do this. They saw him be arrested in Gethsemane. They saw him who had once had, had denied him, all of a sudden now with the introduction of the Holy Spirit, become powerhouses of passion and purpose for the cause of Christ. Why? Many gave their own lives. They were compelled because of the, the death of Jesus. And he did this not for his own rebellion, but for mine. He did it for mine. He did it for yours. You know, it's, it's an interesting thing when you think about this. You think about, many of us would say, well, I, I've never rebelled against God. I've never done this against God. But the truth of the matter is this, is that yes, we have. All of us know the nature of our hearts, don't we? 
All of us know, and if you are honest with yourself tonight, and if you're not, then you're not, but if you are tonight and you're honest, you know what you're capable of, right? You know what's in there. You know what's, what's there. You know how you struggled. You know what's, what's there. Jesus Christ died so that that would not have to drag you down and destroy you and ruin you. The nature of man is the nature of sin. Jesus hung on that tree one day so that nature could be, be, be turned around and changed. And you receive a brand new nature, a resurrection, a change. We're talking about this on Sunday morning. Please be here. Sunday morning is the, the good news. Sunday morning is the resurrection. Sunday morning is the moment when, man, it, it all happens. But we don't get that unless we have Good Friday, where he laid down his life. You know what's interesting about, about Good Friday is that not only is Good Friday a, a statement of God's love for us, it's also an example for us to follow. He's called us to lay down our lives. It's not natural. It's not normal. It's not easy. It's, it's none of those things. But Jesus Christ has called us to lay down our lives and to walk in the same manner and same purpose because he understood the nature of mankind, the nature of who we are, the nature of sin, that we can get so focused and so self-centered and so me, 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 that we forget and we lose sight and we walk away from him and from joy and from peace and from hope and from all the things God has poured out upon our lives. And it all started on that old rugged cross. If you would, bow your heads tonight. And I want to ask you that question again. What do you do with this? What do you do with this message? What do you do with this thing? What do you do with this idea? What do you do with this thing? He did it for his, for not for his rebellion. He did it for mine. For those of us who know him, he invites us to come. He invites us to die. But in so doing, he invites us to live. If you're here tonight and you've never given your heart to Jesus, what a, what a, there could not be a greater moment, a greater opportunity, a greater possibility than this one right now. When you are face to face with the cross, it's ugly, it's difficult, it's weighty, it's horrible, but not because it's a symbol, but because it's what Jesus did for you and for me so many years ago. You are face to face with this tonight. What do you do with this? If you're here tonight, you would say, Pastor Steve, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I've never laid my life down to him. I, I've known about him, I've known who he is, I've known about him, but I've never really considered or thought or done this before and realized this. The truth tonight is this, he did it for a reason. He did it because, he did it because you have a nature of sin. You are not perfect. You fall, you have fallen, and you know that you have. But he did this to change that in your hearts. 
If that's you tonight, all it takes is for you to say, to realize and say, I'm sorry. I should have done that. I, I should be different. You can come, and the, the nature of the cross allows for forgiveness. It's a life of forgiveness. If you've never given your heart to him, ultimately means you can be forgiven for those things. And be washed clean, as the word says. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you tonight, you say, Pastor, I, I want to give my heart to him tonight. I want to ask if you'd raise your hand right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. You'd say, tonight's the night. Tonight's the night. I'm going to give my heart to him. From this day forward, I commit to be different. Praise Jesus. A few more moments and we're going to close this. And I'm going to pray a prayer. That's you. Say, Pastor, that's me. Just put your hands down. Let's, let's pray a prayer tonight. You raised your hands. Even if you didn't raise your hands tonight, but, but you still in your heart know this is you. I'm talking to you tonight. I want you to pray with me tonight. This is not magic. It's not some, you know, some prayer that you got to say this every time or remember every word. No, this is the prayer. This is the idea. It's not, we're going we're gonna to ask Jesus to come into your heart. We're going to admit that you have messed up and you have not gotten it, but you're going to ask his help and his forgiveness. Dear Jesus, I give you my heart. I recognize and I see I've messed up. I'm sorry for my sin, but I see tonight that I need a change, and that change is you. I give you my heart. I believe that you died on the cross for me, that you rose again, and I may not understand all that yet, but I know from this point forward, I'll be different. I commit my life to you. When you come into my life, Will you forgive me? Will you clean me up and change me? And I promise from this point forward, I'm yours. I pray this in your strong and holy name. Amen. If you would, stand across this room tonight. We're going to take a time right now, heads still bowed, eyes still closed, in a time of reflection, a time of just quietness tonight. We have a time tonight where you just reflect and think about this stark truth. What do you do with Jesus? As I thought about this this week and as I wrote this message and that question that Pilate asked that has rung in my heart as I've considered what to say tonight, I, I thought about what do I do with Jesus? I'm face to face with him on the cross. What do I do with him? And tonight, church, what, I do, what we do with him is we say, we come we bow our hearts before him and just say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you so many years ago did what you did. We're going to thank him tonight by taking communion. As Pastor Joe sings, in, in a, again, a heart of reverence and just quietness tonight, there's Elements here at the tables, if you would, uh, come in, in a, at one, the table closest to you, grab an element, don't eat it yet, go back to your seat, and we're going to take communion together tonight. 
But as we come today, as we come and, and walk this walk and walk down this, 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 this table of communion where the bread represents his body, the, 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 the juice represents his blood, I want you to come tonight with an attitude of, of thankfulness and tonight with an attitude of reverence and say, God, thank you. Search my heart. If you would now come, let's come. Praise Jesus.
Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. The word says in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. He broke it. He broke it. His body broken for us. We could sing this song. So we could express that we are no longer slaves to sin, but now free. That's why he did it. He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Let's do that tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your body. Broken. Lord, broken. God, no other time in the year is this more evident than this time of the year. We stop and pause and think and remember that your body is broken for us, Lord, so that we wouldn't have to know, we wouldn't have to see, we wouldn't have to understand what it was like to be broken because you took it for us. Lord, thank you. Tonight, we just say thank you. And the word says, is he, the cup, he given thanks to it and gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, the promise, the promise that God gave so many years, even before Jesus, that he provide a way for us to walk away from sin and walk away from bondage and walk away from all the garbage of this world and walk free from these things. It's only by his blood that we are forgiven. The word says in Psalms that he takes our sin and forgets about it and casts it as far as the east is from the west, remembers it no more, makes us as white as snow, it says. He's poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Take tonight and drink all of it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to close with this song here in a moment, but I want to say something quick tonight. If you're with us very much at church, you know I like to tell jokes and pretty light usually, pretty lighthearted. Not tonight. Because to, to do that tonight would be to do injustice to what this means for us. But here's the good news. We don't have to approach the cross and approach Good Friday and approach what Jesus did for us with heavy hearts and, 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 and downtrodden spirits, right? We can approach this with reverence and with thankfulness because of what he did. Let's sing one more time as we, we pause and think and thank and remember. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus.
Jesus. Lord, cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. I'll praise you. Give him praise tonight, church. Give him praise tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, we are excited for that day. When, Lord, we see you face to face. Lord, what a day that will be. When my Savior, my Jesus, I will see, as the old song says. Lord, Jesus, what a day that's going to be. But, Lord, until that day, Lord, we thank you. We remember. Lord, we appreciate. Jesus, we lay our hearts and our lives before you today, Lord. And we take what you did in that cross, Lord, for, not for granted, but, Lord, serious. That God has provided a way for us to have peace and hope and love and joy. Jesus, I pray tonight, God, that we wouldn't forget that, but I also pray, Lord, you would teach us to remember that, Lord, this is not only a statement, but, Lord, it's also an example, that we lay down our lives. Lord, we lay our life down before you, Lord Jesus. Lord, our junk, our stuff, Lord, our sin, all these things, God, we lay them before you, Lord God, and then in that way, Lord, we finally live. We thank you and praise you for this, Jesus. Lord, go with us. Remind us. Lord, work in us, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone says...